Hello and welcome to Voices and in Innovation from GigaOM. I am your host, Johnny Baltusberger, and today we're going to have a special episode with VP of Research John Collins interviewing Mike Burroughs, the author of the influential books Can Ban from the Inside and Right to Left. He's also the founder of Agenda Shift, an organization which helps organizations change to become more positive and productive. So yeah, I've got um, I've got a few kind of imposter syndrome questions um, <laughs> that I thought uh, I, I thought I'd just test uh, test with you um, because I'm trying to help make things better in the world, and I wanted to make sure I was heading in the right direction. If that makes sense. Let's start. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've been speaking to a great deal, great number of people about agility. I think there are some people who sympathize with my skepticism of um, agile process frameworks as being models for anything organizational. Uh, and and um, that's that's a, um, a skepticism that I've now, um, I have some justification for that skepticism now, and that's it, that'll be in the, in the second edition. And I've spent a lot of time playing with the viable system model and things like that. And realizing there are so many really crucial organizational things that the agile process frameworks just just don't um, capture in fact the, the kind of the embarrassing lack of strategy in agile process has been a um, a bugbear of mine for, for some years um, mm -hmm. and you know agenda shift is very much in the strategy space you know helping people and teams organizations have the conversations they need to have um, before they get too fixated on solutions Back in the 90s, I was consulting on DSTM and Agile software development and, yep. and so on. And yep. I saw hands-on firsthand what wasn't working, what needed to work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that was all going in the right direction, but it was, it was kind of never finished. Um, then I became an analyst in 2000 and kind of stopped doing the hands-on stuff. Uh, yep. And then in 2007, that's when uh, the DevOps movement suddenly right. was thrust yep. into the limelight. Yes. And it kind of passed me by. Um, yep. So the Phoenix Project and books like that uh, happened. And so I come back in you know, a few years later, and the whole world's talking about, well, it's all right. It's all agile. It's all DevOps. It's all this. And there's a whole set of new terminology. Yeah, some, some, in fact, some people are using DevOps as a synonym for agile, which is quite well, disconcerting. <laughs> I, I think there is, there, there is a kind of better place notion that whatever you're doing right now is wrong and you should be in the better place. It doesn't matter what it's called. And so the, the, the synonym notion is kind of, you know, they could have called it, you know, gooseberry bush. Well, buzzword, buzzword of the day becomes synonym. So, <laughs> so, I mean, what, in, as a matter of interest, what, what is the difference between Agile and DevOps, seeing as they're not synonyms? Well, it's where, it's where they come from. Um, you know, DevOps was confronting a real issue and that development and operations weren't well enough integrated. And, you know, I've um, spoken and probably written in the past that in some ways Agile made it worse. And um, I did some work for um, organizations where um, you know, they sent everyone on the scrum training and then the, the, develop, the development people are complaining that the operations people don't come to all their meetings. 
and the operations people, um, and, and kind of why should they? And and the operations people are complaining that these agile teams are throwing stuff over the fence at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so in some ways they made things worse rather than better because um, uh, it's because particularly the, it's, particularly with Scrum, the team centric, centricity of it, you know, and the idea we put a very you know non-porous boundary around the team. And you're either in the team or you're not. You're coming to all our meetings or or you're not welcome. Um, you know, kind of that mm. kind of attitude starts starts to grow. Um, and so, in some ways, you could see ad, uh, DevOps as a as a reaction against that. I don't know how how whether that was really a motivation for the people that wrote it, but it certainly addressed a a, a real um, issue out there. Um, and I think the Phoenix Project as well was was it's actually a really good book. And it's kind of explains the theory of constraints in mm-hmm. terms of agilists and operations people understand and, and so on. Um, and, and so it's addressing a real problem. I'm, I'm a fan of it for that reason. Um, I cringe when, you know, DevOps becomes a team or a role. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's just the way the language morphs, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. but it's, as long as you don't lose sight of what it was, what it was trying to do. So, so it was coming from a different place. It, it's, Addressing a real issue, theory of constraints, um, certainly in the in the Phoenix Project book was important. Whether that was important mm-hmm. in the sort of birth of DevOps as an idea, I I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it comes after Agile. Obviously, Agile has an influence on it. I, I don't think it was trying to be a reboot of Agile. It was, you know, a particular set of people with a particular set of real, very real frustrations and deciding to do something about it. And, it was just know, trying to address that concern. Yeah, I think so. I've got two things that I that I'm struggling with. One is this idea that DevOps is some kind of answer, because um, I, I think uh, better better ways of doing things are obviously a, a better place than the yep. worst ways of doing things. That yep. just to say, just to put a label on it, you know, put a ring on it, and and say yep. they just do DevOps. People struggle with CI, continuous yeah. integration, just being able to build things efficiently. And that's partially true, because if you can't build things quickly and automatically, then you're not going to be able to deploy it very fast anyway. So, so, yeah. so ultimately, a lot of the conversations come down to the fact that all you need is a culture change. And this is what <laughs> I'm really seriously struggling with. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, so, <laughs> you got. I know. I know. <laughs> That's one of my trigger <laughs> phrases. <laughs> it's it's winding me up. It's winding me up. Um, so to, uh, to, to laugh at the right moment for you, then. I mean, so you, you share. Yeah. You share that yeah. Moment. No. 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 I, 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 I'm. 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 I'm kind of in in a loathing state. What we need is a what we need is a culture culture change is what I call begging the objective. You know, it actually it's so vacuous. It says nothing new at all. <laughs> it doesn't identify the real challenges at all. You know, it's so it it's so it's such an empty phrase. Um, and and culture is often you know the word culture is so often used in ways that are um, platitudes or or vacuous or, or or whatever. I know, right? All we need is a few pictures on the walls with really. Handy uh, aphorisms yeah. and uh, exactly. there you go, culture change in a box. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Deming, Deming was saying that, you know, what you just said, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So, uh, yeah, this is an old problem. <laughs> yeah. Here's my hypothesis. My hypothesis is there's no such thing as a culture change, right? Because even if, and I've got another thing that I, I've played with, which is the, the guru's dilemma. 
And the guru's dilemma is that someone like you or someone like me or someone who's kind of been around the block a few times and they've read the books and they've done the training courses, someone like Alistair uh, Coburn or, or whatever, can go into a place and it's like the, for the queen, everything smells of fresh paint. They, 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 they make a difference. They see it. Yeah, they, they, they kind of help people prioritize, et cetera, et cetera. But then after that, people keep trying to do the things that they were told. And then a couple of weeks later, they're scratching their heads and going, well, I think it was a bit like this. And six months later, they're, they're back where they started. And, and I've, se- I've seen that as well. And I've seen DevOps teams, um, for example, uh, it doesn't matter what the label is, uh, kind of falling apart over time because they, they revert to type. To me, it's a bit like keeping fit. Generally, the human tendency is not to do it. Yeah, It's about having habits, keeping with those habits. We need these kind of tools to just keep us going on the right track. Yes. Um, rather than there being this better. So it's all against the better place syndrome. Yeah. Idea that there is no better place. There is a way of working that goes uh, uh, um, anti our default behaviours. Well, I have a lot of sympathy with that. Kind of a gender shift is the reaction to the managed change project. You know, the idea that you, you, you're you going to upgrade your organisation the way you upgrade your email server is a ridiculous idea, an idea that fails more often than, than it succeeds. And like you say, organisations tend to revert to type anyway. And, you know, if you're going to the, the sort of deep theory of it, um, it's... And it's kind of the underpinnings of dialogic organization development, which is one of the sort of foundations for agenda shift now. Um, I didn't know it existed when I wrote the first edition, and then I found found the correspondence so amazing when I got into it that uh, I couldn't ignore it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's founded on social constructionism, you know, a bit of philosophy. Your organization is socially construct- constructed. You know, if the organization's discourse isn't changed, then it hasn't really changed at all. If you really want to fundamentally change the change the organization, then then its discourse has to has to change, um, and that's going to probably start with you know some new kinds of conversations, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's where we start. You know, and we don't start with solutions, we don't start with frameworks, we don't start start with you know bandwagons. You know, you know, we start with well, what is it we're we're trying to do here? You know, what are the outcomes that we want to achieve and do that in a way that confronts reality, you know, is honest about the obstacles that we face and so on. In fact, in using the, using the obstacles as kind of uh, grist to the mill, turning those in, turning those in, into outcomes. So you're, you're establishing some kind of direction from where, from where you are now, you know, and, it, and then it becomes not about implementing a solution. You know, solutions are things that emerge when they're needed. You know, so it's it's much more people focused, much more people positive. You could say much more complexity aware. I'm sort of stealing from Aaron Dignan now. People positive, complexity aware, complexity conscious. So, if it's not about culture change, sorry to come back to that phrase. Um, if it's not about culture change, it is about almost honesty. That you're never going to get over. You're never going to arrive in this nirvana state where yeah. things agile. And it's how you address them. So it's not about putting a solution in place and you're done. It's about going, let's face it, lads, lasses, it's it's always going to be a bit rubbish. So how do we deal with that? I don't deny that culture exists, but to confront culture as the main thing is, I think, counterproductive. Um, so uh, culture changes through a natural process, the discourse of the organisation. It changes um, through experience. 
Uh, it changes through addressing some of the problems that the organization has. Um, but most importantly, um, you do all that while pursuing the mission of the organization. I mean, to take culture as something separate from the mission of the organization, I think is a mistake. You know, it's, just, it's, it's just such a sterile exercise. Mm. You've got to do it in some way that's a bit more holistic. And my approach is to, is to, make, is to make it a strategy conversation. Now, that, that can be more or less focused on ways of working. Um, but if you look at if you look at our workshop products, they're they are one kind of strategy product or another. You know, it's either the classic set of workshops, transformation strategy workshops, um, that are very much about ways of working, or mm -hmm. the outside in strategy that are about you know what's our position and working our way in through what does that mean for the organisation and its products and its platform and people and and, and so on. There's zero point in getting things to change on the ground if they're not things that are relevant to the business strategy it's just a, a pointless exercise i wouldn't go quite that far that's a bit black and white you know i do believe in teams having autonomy and actually having a strategy of their own um, but if their strategy isn't aligned to some wider strategy then there's something very wrong um i don't completely agree with the idea that that all all change has to be aligned to the the company strategy um, I do believe in autonomy, and that, that's at every, every level. Every level strategy needs to align with the strategy above it. Um, but that does allow for some local decision-making. Yeah, often it's at the end of the thing, like, oh, we want to put some change program in place. And, oh, by the way, you need, you need stuff from the top. What you're saying is actually the, the stuff from the top, the stuff from the bottom, all needs to be in alignment right the way through. It's not a kind of add-on thing that will help along the way it's there's no point in having those conversations there's no point in progressing unless you've got that in the first place yeah well i think as soon as you um it's, it's quite a cool thing when as soon as you, you you accept that something is a continuous process it changed changes things dramatically so mm -hmm. it becomes much less useful to talk in terms of top down or bottom up is there are things happening and those th there needs to be mechanisms that keep those things um, pulling in the same direction, you know, align mm -hmm. mechanisms. And, you know, part of way of under, you know, this is this is one of the contributions of the liable systems model. It's, you know, it's actually identifying what are the levels in the organization, where is strategy happening, what are the mechanisms yeah. for keeping them aligned, and so on and so on. Um, and uh, seeing, seeing those as processes is so much more helpful than seeing seeing it as a you know it's like a backlog, <laughs> you know mm -hmm. that you need to plow through. In fact, uh, you know the whole right to left thing is about getting getting away from seeing whether it's development or strategy deployment as plowing through a backlog of requirements, and instead um, you know t going you know from the outcome backwards and, and seeing process and everything else aligned aligned to that. Yeah, so top down, bottom up, much less helpful. Yeah. Continuous changes everything. A bit like in the way that agile, you know, kind of um, the iron triangle thing is just so much less useful than it was, and that, and that's great because we're no, because we're now no longer we're no longer fixed squeezing everything into fixed duration projects. That 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 notion becomes a lot less interesting now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a trick we can do elsewhere. So, so something you just said uh, and i want to put a hook in too because i've been really keen on value stream management as um <clears throat> which essentially is all about working back from the outcome um yep. so 
that it the fact the fact that it needs to exist as a thing suggests that people aren't doing it and they need to do it. And the the other thing that you say, and this is really the hypothesis that I'm kind of coming up against, which I'm I'm so I'm going to say it specifically and explicitly to see how much you confirm or deny it, is that this is actually, it's about having a living process, responds, recognize, like, like, an, like an organism, it recognizes how well it's doing at that moment in time yep. based on what it needs to achieve. So to speak less, less, less metaphorically, an adaptive process um, with participation. You know, yeah, it's, it's not one where one, you know, one part of the organisation is imposing its will on another. Is that the the different parts of the organisation are talking to each other enough, um, that they are working towards the uh, the same ends, in ways so, that are complementary rather than you know conflicting. Would it be fair to say that the notion of an adaptive process is a prerequisite for sustainable delivery of? more agile ways of existence within business well that's i i, I must agree with you because there's an extra chapter in the in the second edition that's called the deliberately adaptive organization um deliberate yeah no love it yeah that that title will have echoes for some people um i stole kind of stole it from the deliberately um developmental organization um which is um from the everyone culture um keegan Keegan et al. Um, so the so all the adult development theory people, um, and um, so what I what I did in the last chapter um, reconciled the gender shift with um, the vi viable system model, and thinking about all the processes that every level of the organisation needs to have in order in order to be you know healthy and viable and so on, and how and how it's how you sustain these continuous processes indefinitely how the organization produces itself um, um so it was very, very interesting thing in in all my um you know reading for the book so i read you know a thousand pages of stafford beer and some other page uh, other books around around his work i read up on all the dialogic od stuff and di um generative od stuff as well and kind of both two very different communities but from both of them they have this idea that um you know, the organization needs to produce itself you know so from one community it's about um systems that are um very much about the systems view of the world and how they self-perpetuate how they self-perpetuate themselves from the dialogic od community you know the idea that um you know is produced by by its discourse um mm -hmm. same idea into from two places and, I, and and you look at something like servant leadership you know, one of whose goals is to produce the next generation of servant leaders, another self-producing process. In the in right to left, um, I talked about the wholehearted organization, you know, where, where strategy and delivery and organization development were better, better integrated. And it's sort of an appealing, appealing thing. It actually did get people quite excited. Um, but it was a viable system model, is the is the real science underneath all of that. You know, and if those things are disconnected, then you probably have a problem. One of the other, just a minor hypothesis, just to finally test, is about, and it, it does go back to the, the guru's dilemma idea that I talked about before, which is, but it's this idea that leadership is everything. So just what you were saying about servant leadership suggests that if you've got essentially uh, a more organic organization that is responding to change, uh, that's not about a strong leader that can kind of... Uh, 
it, that can last for a while. It's like the Steve Jobs syndrome. That can last for a while, but then when he's gone, you need someone like that to carry it on. Otherwise, um, and we've you know, Apple's done very well following Steve Jobs. Other organisations, when their charismatic leader have left, have not done so well. I, I to be clear, I do believe in leadership, um, but um, servant leadership and host leadership. You know, those are the, the, the kinds of models of leadership that most most appeal to me. And um, if you put a gender shift in the category of engagement model, then if you look at the other people in the same sort of space, you know, people like uh, Daniel Mezik and Open Space Agility, um, Jutta Eckstein with Agile, um, Bossa Nova and so on, you know, we're kind of um, a reaction to the, you know, what Martin Fowler called the, the Agile Industrial Complex imposing Agile on people. So it, you know, kind of one, one of the things we're reacting against is imposition, but to it's not good enough just to complain about something. You know, at least for someone like me, I can't just complain about something. I, I won't complain about something until I have something constructive to to offer in its place. And being really serious about engagement, what that actually means, helping practitioners engage, helping organisations engage with their staff, helping the bits of the organisation stay engaged with each other, you know, under conditions of change. And um, those are all interesting, interesting questions. And uh, there must be a better answer than just rolling out a framework o o over, o over the feelings of um, you know, the people who are, who, who are going to be going to have to work in different ways. We are hiring smart people in knowledge work, you know, and uh, <laughs> it seems kind of crazy that we would hire smart and expensive people and then tell them what to do <laughs> and how to do their jobs. Um, where most of the people doing the work actually understand their work better than their managers. Mm. That's and that's that. That's where that I think. Well, having having been a manager um, in a stressful situation, and I turned into a control freak. I, I kind of understand that you've got to work with psychology. You can't work against it. Um, yeah. And that's where that's where a lot of this rubber hits the road. As you say, you can stick everyone through a safe, agile training course. Yes. Yeah. You, know, you can stick thousands of people through it. But then if you've got the wrong hierarchy that's, yes. that's not liking it. Uh, yeah, a, a, a thousand slides of safe training isn't going to change hearts and minds. <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, so I don't want to use words like, yes, it's all about empowerment. But um, uh, the, the, the trouble is that without actually... You'll set off my platitude alerts. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> without actually giving... Uh, some of those things are symptoms, not causes. You can't yes. say... Go out and empower people. You can say, there, see, that organisation, things are working more smoothly. It's still going wrong. Things are still going wrong for them. And I think that's really important. There isn't this nirvana state. Um, it's about dealing with uh, the reality of the world. Yeah, we would, it's all, it's kind of very pragmatic in a way. You know, we tried stuff and found what worked. And then we, then, then we try to understand why and how it works. <laughs> Just as, as a matter of interest, do you, do you think you'll get to a place, because I do this sometimes, I'm struggling over uh, something and I end up with a, a picture with three pillars in it and go, well, that's obvious. Yeah, but I couldn't have got that without six weeks of thinking. Do you think you'll that's, end up in a place I'm, just that's, there? Yeah, that's, that's actually one of, the other, one, one of the other justifications for the second edition is that um, you can kind of describe a gender shift now in, in terms of just two, two patterns, two intersecting patterns. Uh -huh. So ideal obstacles outcomes is the main pattern we use for discovery and exploration. And then right to left strategy, de strategy deployment. You know, so there's the strategy development piece, the deployment piece, 
the right to left, so keeping it all outcome oriented um, uh, on, on the right, and they and they sort of intersect at the agenda for change. Uh -huh. uh, so that was a concept that did exist in the first edition. Um, so what I didn't realise is that there's there's actually theory for the for the agenda for change as well. There's, you know, theory of change and and so on. So um, it just um, it's nice when you dig deep, and it rather than getting more complicated, and it actually crystallises and becomes a bit simpler. Thank you so much for your time. I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you for another three hours. Um, and uh, is your book out? Should be out uh, late for March time. Okay, so if if uh, if anyone wants to do some kind of prior reading, should should they um, kind of right, what, what right should they be turning up on? Right to left is actually a very good, um, very good warm up to to agenda shift. It's the, it's the more um, right to left is actually written for a wider audience than, than agenda shift. Um, but it it it, uh, it prepares the ground quite nicely. Right to left is available as an audiobook as well. Awesome, well, fantastic. Thank you so much, and thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me. Thank you so much for allowing me to test out so because I've, I've been kind of you can tell i'm literally like probably four years behind you and it's so great that i don't need to make the effort it's <laughs> 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 saving me a lot of time mate we hope this episode has been helpful for you on your devops journey if you would like to find out more come to gigaohm.com where you can check out our blogs podcasts and of course subscribe to the whole breadth of research we have on this and similar topics for all your future forward advice on IT and the tech industry, GigaOM.com is the place to go. For GigaOM, I'm Johnny Baldisberger, and this has been Voices in Innovation.